0: So tonight, my topic, I've I've called it Arrival and Loss. And it's really inspired in many ways by the themes of of the Christian idea of Holy Week. We're in Holy Week right now in Christianity, so I'll just briefly give you the the thumbnail of that story. Um, Yesterday was Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday celebrates... Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem, kind of the climactic point of his life, and it's called Palm Sunday because the crowds were very excited to receive him. They lined the streets and they were putting palm leaves down so that the donkey he was on could walk on them. It was kind of, kind of provided a shock absorber, so he would have this very smooth ride. It was a, a treatment often given to royal people. Um, And so it was this very triumphant sort of entry into Jerusalem. Um, On Thursday, we'll have Holy Thursday, which commemorates the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, that's when, among other things, that was the last meal that Jesus had before he was crucified. Um, He introduced the the Eucharist, or what, what Christians call the Eucharist, or the communion there. The next day, Good Friday is when he was crucified, and then of course Easter Sunday when he rose um, and i I'll say that you know I believe these events literally i don't I believe all religions are true. I don't expect other people to believe it literally um but I'm interested in looking at it as a metaphor um you know here he was arriving in some ways, at the climactic moment of his life. And naively, it would seem like this um, great triumph, you know. And Even in the New Testament, he was giving these intimations before he went to Jerusalem, like in, that he would be dying. He knew that he would be dying in Jerusalem, and his, his disciples were kind of worried about going there. But it seemed like a moment of triumph when he got there. But then it led to his crucifixion. And so it just got me thinking about the whole theme of arrival in general, you know, and, and these stories we have, you know, when we're going to arrive in life, when I'm going to get that, that wonderful job, when I'm going to be in that wonderful relationship, when I'm going to, you know, get all my issues resolved and really be, you know, fully myself, you know, all, all these, these stories that we have. Um and it's interesting because I think these 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 happen at two levels. Um one level is the more egoic thought level, which is often very fantasy based. Um but I think there's also a way that that the future and future possibilities already exist within us. Buddhism talks about the the seeds of the future existing with us in the present moment. You know, and Buddhism talks a lot about touching the seeds of happiness, nurturing the seeds of happiness, or or trying to rid ourselves of the seeds of anger, craving, and delusion. Um, and I think there's a way that some of our deeper possibilities already exist within us. And it's not so much something that the strategic mind accesses. It's more a matter of, dropping into a deeper, silent place of knowing and having this this kind of clear intuition of the direction that we're we're walking in. Um, so I think sometimes our, our thoughts about the future might be a combination. We might have gotten some of those deeper intuitions and then we bring them up to the fantasy level and spin egoic fantasies about them. You know. And of course, the egoic fantasies are always wonderful. You know, I'm going to, get there and it's going to be this wonderful triumph and it's going to be nothing but ease. You know, I'm going to find that perfect job or perfect relationship and it's just going to be nothing but, but ongoing happiness, you know? Um, and of course, as we know, no, no breakthrough, no, no gain like that, um, is just pure happiness. <laughs> you know, there's no threshold we cross in life in which we just get nothing but happiness. Um, and that all growth demands something from us. You know, among other things, it demands some kinds of letting go. Um, and it's funny, some some of the letting goes that growth demands of us are are things that we're quite ready to let go. You know, it feels good. Okay, it feels good to give that up now. There's a sense of liberation. And there's other kinds of letting go that we're not at all ready for <laughs> when they come. You know, it, it, it's funny in... Uh, traditional Tibetan iconography. Um, for example, we have a, 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 an icon of Avilokiteshwara in this room. And on the top, you'll see these Buddhas of light. And at the bottom, you'll see these fire-breathing, horrible demons, these horrible dragons, which are incredibly fearsome-looking. And they're both representations of the energy of the Buddha. You know and and one very simplistic way to say it is, you know the Buddha of light that's the thing that I need to let go that I'm perfectly ready to let go of, and the fire deeming fire breathing dragon at the bottom that's the thing i'm I have to let go of that I'm not really ready to let go of, <laughs> you know, and growth presents us with both, and so it's very funny to think about. To even just to look at, you know, what stories do we have about our future? What's you know, what stories do we have about that time when I get to you know whatever it is I'm going to get to? Um, I want to read this this passage from T. S. Eliot. This is from the Four Quartets. It's a passage where he's talking. He's been talking about the sea and talking about about people on the sea. And he says, where is the end of them, the fishermen sailing into the wind's tail, where the fog cowers? We cannot think of a time that is oceanless, or of an ocean not littered with wastage, or of a future that is not liable like the past to have no destination. We have to think of them as forever bailing, setting, and hauling while the northeast lowers over shallow banks, unchanging and erosionless, or drawing their money, drawing sails at dockage, not as making a trip that will be unpayable for a hall that will not bear examination. There is no end of it, the voiceless wailing, no end to the withering of the withered flowers, to the movement of pain that is painless and motionless, to the drift of the sea and the drifting wreckage, to the bones' prayer to death its God, only the hardly, barely prayable prayer of the One Annunciation." And that last line the the prayer of the one Annunciation the Annunciation is is another Christian story that's when the angel appears to Gabriel and announces you're going to be pregnant with jesus um, and Mary gives her assent by saying, "Let it be done to me according to your word and that that is the prayer of the Annunciation. Let it be done to me according to your word it's it's a a prayer of complete surrender and in the Christian understanding it's, it's that motion of complete surrender which allowed God to be in the world. Um, and it, this is a powerful attitude to hold toward our future. Let it be, you know, this attitude of just surrendering in complete openness to the complete unknown of the future. You know, the mammalian brain does not really do well with holding the unknown. Like, we want to fill it with our fantasies, fill it with our fears. It's actually a, a tremendous discipline to hold the unknown as as empty, to hold it as a permanent question. Now, of course, Buddhism also, you know, Buddhism tells us that, of course, stories that we're telling about the future you know, among other things, pull us away from the present moment. And and really, every moment of the present moment is about arriving in some way. You know, there's that famous line from Lao Tzu, arrive without traveling, you know, which, which the Beatles quoted at some point. Um, you know, and what does it mean to arrive deeply in the present moment? What does it mean to live each day continually arriving deeper into the present moment. Another quote that I'll read, and this is from, um, from St. John of the Cross, from the ascent of Mount Carmel. And this is, this is a quote that, uh, that Eliot also played around with in the Four Quartets. In order to arrive at having pleasure in everything, desire to have pleasure in nothing. In order to arrive at possessing everything, desire to possess nothing. In order to arrive at being everything, desire to be nothing. In order to arrive at knowing everything, desire to know nothing. In order to arrive at that wherein thou hast no pleasure, thou must go by a way wherein thou hast no pleasure. In order to arrive at which thou knowest not, thou must go by a way that thou knowest not. In order to arrive at that which thou possessest not, thou must go by a way that thou possessest not. In order to arrive at that which thou art not, thou must go through a way which thou, in which thou art not. That's a, a complicated quote, I realize. Um, but it it one of the reasons i like it, it it resonates a lot with the zen tradition you know there's a there's a way that the the mystics of all all traditions kind of resonate with each other and there this idea that um yeah everything about the unknown you, i have to i have to hold that that emptiness of the unknown in order to you know in order for the, in order really to enter into relationship with that unknown. Um, and so I'll just say, I think, um, you know, think about what stories do we have about the future? What stories do we have about when we, quote-unquote, get there? When we, when we, you know, are fully ourselves? Um, And how can we arrive more deeply in the present moment? So I'll share the quote sheet. Shared it with the Zoomies. So, I have the passage from T.S. Eliot and the passage from John of the Cross, which, which, both of which probably bear rereading. But, so, those are on the quote sheet. At the bottom, from William James I'm done with great things and big plans, great institutions and big successes. I am for those tiny, invisible, loving human forces which work from individual to individual, creeping through the crannies of the world like so many rootlets, oozing water, which, if given time, will rend the hardest monuments of pride. Proust said, my destination is no longer a place but a new way of seeing. Rilke said, the purpose of life is to is to be defeated by greater and greater things. That's what I've had before in the quote sheets. Charlotte Joko Beck says, Enlightenment is not something you achieve. It's the absence of something. All your life you have been going forward after something, pursuing some goal. Enlightenment is dropping all that. Thich Han said, I've arrived. I am home. It's the shortest Dharma talk ever given. I am arrived, I am home, means I don't want to run anymore. You need that insight in order to be truly established in the here and now and to embrace life with all its wonders. Mark Nepo said, We work so hard to get somewhere, to realize a dream, to arrive at some destination that we often forget that, through some satisf- that though some satisfaction might be waiting at the end of our endurance and effort, there is great and irreplaceable liveness in the steps along the way. A couple of long ones from David White. David White said, When we find the invitation that is being made to us, all of our previous humiliations are suddenly understood in the, in the light of radical simplification, of invited to being something that no one who is bullying us in the outer world, who has neglected us in the outer world, no one who ignored us can ever see. And once we're on that path, once we've felt the real physical invitation, there's an understanding and a certain forgiveness for everything we had to go through in order to get to this place. Why? Because it's always worth it. Arriving at the place where the grail has been set out for us is to arrive at the place of incredible nourishment, where we not only feel nourishment coming into our bodies, but we actually start to feel the possibility of giving that gift to others. That is that the invitation from the world has found a home in us, which has now made us an invitation to others. In another talk, he said, I realized that my identity depended on how much attention I was paying to to things other than myself. When there's very little attention to things other than myself, I was caught up in my own difficulties and resentment and the, and the way I wasn't being looked after and the way I should be looked after and the manner I should be kept and accustomed to. And no one was actually there. There was no one there to be found. As soon as I started paying attention to something other than myself, there actually was a surface area that was meeting another surface area. The deeper my form of attention, the more someone was there. The someone was the stranger I always talk to you about. You always meet this new you in the form of a stranger that first you turn away from. But this stranger is the person you're about to become. And out of that arrival, in this new pair of eyes, this new pair of ears, and this new tongue which we will speak, you will be in a completely different world with more invitations than you ever knew you could respond to, more gifts being given than you ever thought you you deserved out of the timelessness and the gift of presence." And finally, Peter Dumanin says, As you walk, cultivate a sense of ease. There's no hurry to get anywhere, no destination to reach. You're walking. This is a good instruction. Just walk. And as you walk, you let yourself, you let go of the desire to get somewhere. You begin to sense the actual joy simply in walking and being in the present moment. You begin to comprehend the preciousness of each step. It's an extraordinary, precious experience to walk on this earth.